Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Auto insurance can all seem the same until it comes time to use it. So don't get stuck paying more for less coverage. Switch to USA Auto Insurance and you could start saving money in no time. Get a quote today. Restrictions apply. Night racing is back at Richmond Raceway. This spring, top NASCAR drivers like Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Virginia's own Denny Hamlin will battle under the bright lights. And this historic track also offers a rocking infield experience with unparalleled access to your favorite drivers and one of the best tailgate scenes around. For a weekend of friends, family, and amazing short track action, head to Richmond Raceway, March 29th through 31st. Get tickets now at richmondraceway.com. Slate Money is sponsored by OneHub, letting you securely store and share your business files online. Featuring the all-new OneHub Sync, the fastest way to keep all your teams working from the same page. Try it for free, and Slate Money listeners can receive a special discount by visiting onehub.com money. And by Trunk Club. Answer a few simple questions about your look, style, and size, and receive a trunk full of great-looking clothes that fit perfectly and make you look amazing. Only pay for the clothes you keep with no ongoing subscription, and shipping is free. Go to trunkclub.com money. And by ZipRecruiter. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 job sites with a single click and an interface that's easy to use. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash SlateMoney. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash SlateMoney. Hello! I can tell you this is the best edition of Slate Money you will ever listen to. I'm telling you that right now. I'm Felix Salmon. This is the marriage edition of Slate Money, and I can barely even get started because we're all blathering away here at the table because we have the best group of podcasters the world has ever seen assembled in the same room. There's Kathy O'Neill, the data scientist and blogger at mathbabe.org. I don't know if I can live up to the hype here. There's Jordan Weissman, the Moneybox columnist at Slate. I kind of like to picture us as like the Avengers of podcasts. <laughs> uh, I, I really want uh, like Felix to be Black Widow, though, in this. Thing. I'm anyway. the thing. Yeah. You, you've never seen me like this. And most importantly, the catalyst who is going to take this ragtaggle group of money broadcasters and turn us into something unbelievably awesome. You have heard her once on this show before if you listened to the Davos edition. The one and only Jenny Anderson. Hello, Jenny. I am melting under this pressure. Good Lord. <laughs> Jenny can I, can Anderson, I go home now? <laughs> Jenny Anderson is, is a... I don't know how many different types of threat she is, but she is uh, the rock, new rock star reporter for Quartz in London. Um, she 
has written a book called It's Not You, It's the Dishes. It was also called Spouseonomics. We are going to spend the whole episode talking about something which all four of us have in common, which is that we are all married. And there are all manner of nooks and crannies and economic insights to be gained from this. We're going to talk about all of this. And basically, this is going to be the Jenny show because Jenny's amazing. Felix, can can we start out by by d- discussing how married we are? Because I feel like, I mean, I think I'm going to win. Okay, if I, if on, I on say scale... sort of, am I going to get in trouble with my husband? <laughs> well, like, on how, a scale halfway? of one to ten, Kathy, how married are you? Married? I mean, I've been married for eight, just now. I just had my anniversary, eighteen years. Whoa! Wow. So I'm just like, um, boo yeah, right? So you you, yeah. You're, you're you like... win three kids too. Three kids, 18 years. So I know from which I speak. When I was in third grade when Kathy got married. How I many think. How many kid years is that? That's a lot of kid years. My oldest is 15, then I got a 13-year-old and a 6-year-old, almost 7. So, so that's over twenty. That's like over 30 over kid years. Over 30 kid years. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, can she, you guys fucking compare? I cannot not. compare. Again, I'm feeling the need to exit we have, the building. <laughs> we have totally too much from, pressure, too many years. But 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 uh, we Kathy, know that Jordan just got I, married. I might Kathy, have written the most words about marriage. Kathy, having written a book about it, but I, you definitely trump me on years and kids. Kathy, have you bought a house? With I, have, I have. Oh, you've done it all. Because mm. Jenny, what were you just telling me? I was just saying that my husband and I we have only been married eight years. Uh, in those eight years, we have been through quite a bit: two marriages, multiple jobs, death of a father, death of a brother, a lot of a lot of stressful thing, aging parents, and we just bought our first house. And I would say that that was the most stressful thing we have done hands down Hmm. is that because it's a money thing all of the other ones weren't really money things it was money it was a lot of money so most people buy houses a little bit earlier than we did so we're getting it at a high entry point but it's also an identity thing so we're half english half american so which side of the pond do we want to be on we're half country half city do we want to be in the city or the country it's this kind of venn diagram from hell as to where we want to be which is effectively who you want to be and where did you end up in a house in Fulham. <laughs> what, what's, Make what you will of what, that. What is, so so what Jenny, is and I, Jen, Jenny and I understand the connotations of Fulham. I would guess I that don't know even almost what, none, is that of a the, place? none of the so American you, you, listeners... So you explain, give me your summary of what that means. Translate it in Brooklyn terms. For I, our... It's so impossible to translate Fulham into American. It just okay. can't be done. But imagine... Conservative Park Slope? Princeton, New Jersey. Like, Ooh, I would say kind bad. of the southern reaches of Westchester. Scarsdale? Oh, no. No, no. Uh. I don't know. <laughs> in any case, in any we case. We digress. We digress. Um, Felix, how long have you been married? I have been married coming up 10 years. I'm about, yeah. Um, so that's, but we have no kids, but we do have an apartment which we bought at pretty much exactly the same time as we got married. That was fun, getting married and buying an apartment at the same time. Thankfully, neither of us really had day jobs at the time so That's we helpful. could pretty much sort of concentrate you you guys have hardcore like you know well we have new let's see i have a new job we have a new house and one of my kids is starting a new school so that's what september is gonna look like i mean while your husband is like running a newspaper and shit yeah so he's around a lot we can get to that on the economics part <laughs> so um and so that, yeah that, jordan well, yeah that leaves me that come on now <laughs> no uh, as the listeners the talk. newbie I, i've been the so, newbie to this institution so i've been married since may you all heard you you all got to listen to me on on my wedding day when i came in and actually recorded an episode of this show uh however context my my wife and I had been together in one form or another relationship for about nine years. 
Um, and we actually lived together for about five years. So I'd say we've been millennial married for five plus years now. Okay, so this is <laughs> millennial married. This is this so is what the made first. made you get married? Uh, you know, finally had enough money to buy a ring, and you know, I figured make an honest woman of her. It just seemed like time. Okay, so so I feel like here's our first segment right here is is exactly this one. Like, is there a difference between being married and what Jordan says call, calls being together, whatever that means. Or millennial married. Millennial yeah. married. <laughs> um, and and is that difference, is it a financial difference? I mean, is that really the reason that like, you felt you were rich enough to get married? Uh, well, I mean, part, okay, so the ring thing is like, that's a whole story on a blah, 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 blah. But um, the, uh, I, yeah, I think that's part of it. Yeah, I, I, I am sort of almost a, a stereotypical uh I guess member of my generation in that respect, a lot of sociologists talk about what they call the capstone vision of marriage, that instead of being a way to start your life together with someone, uh, young people now think of it as a way to sort of uh, signify that you've arrived, that you are now ready in a financial place to get married. So yeah, I mean, that is, that's a thing. That's an issue, I guess. I'm really glad you brought it up and, and acknowledge that that is part of it because I I agree that that is that's a large part of it. Also, decision to have kids like we're, we we want to have kids together. That's a big thing that pr- prompts people to get married. But just just like starting with from that point, it it bothers me when I hear people that that talk about how marriage is a stabilizing influence on people's lives. Like, oh, people are so much better off when they're married because it's like, no, you got the causality wrong. They get married when they know they're going to be better off. And so I feel like that that I. Anyway, I'm I'm kind of a negative on marriage in general. I actually I'm the most married <laughs> person here. Years, you know. But I actually don't think there's much good economic reasons to get married. Well, no, actually there's reasons not to get married. I mean, the most famous case of this is the two Wharton economists, Betsy Stevenson and Justin Wolfers, who are both labor economists and they have opted not to get married because uh, they will be taxed at a higher level because of their relatively high incomes as a result of it. So and, and they, they made the similar econom- incomes. That's right. the other thing. Like yeah. if 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 one of if one person earns a lot more than the other, then it can sometimes help in terms of taxes to get married. But if you're both earning a similar amount, especially if you're both earning quite a lot, like Justin and Betsy do, then yeah, there's a marriage penalty. Well, I mean, but you're, you're talking about economists. So they actually, <laughs> they actually, they're weird. They're weird. And they think about the marginal costs of like taxes. I'm actually talking about something else entirely. Like I actually think you really can't talk about economics and marriage in a certain individual sense because, like, actually having kids is the worst economic decision you'll ever make. Right. So it's supposedly the worst decision you can make for your happiness as well. So, <laughs> and yet many of us choose to do it, and I doubt that many of us would say we regret it. Well, so this that that comes down to like two types of happiness, though, right? The, and this is actually something in like the this is actually an emerging issue in the economics of happiness literature, whereas they they pull people on like their daily contentment. Like, did you was today you know the the ice tea question uh, the ice cube question was today a good day um and like were you pissed off or something and, and people who have kids are less likely to have had a good day however when they step step back and kind of assess their life there is sort of a contentment that comes with it and that's a second kind of happiness they're that, getting much better at quantifying yeah exactly that economists are now looking at and going oh, okay they're uh, and like social science researchers in general but is this Jenny is, is this the same is marriage the same as kids and it's something which makes you actually less happier on the sort of happy you know happy haha level but maybe gives you some kind of deep-seated stability and contentment that makes it worthwhile well clearly it doesn't because half of people end up getting divorced and so i mean it doesn't <laughs> promise anything that it couldn't otherwise my so mom are, are we economically rational beings should if we were re- if we were rational should we none of us really be getting married at all 
Probably, because there isn't the the economic rationale for the in the past for getting married doesn't exist anymore, right? We don't need to bring our two specialties. Felix, you're going to be the breadwinner. I'm going to be the homemaker. That doesn't exist anymore. The shared forum for production no longer exists. We are now a shared forum for consumption and enjoyment. We don't need to be married for that. So there is probably no economic reason to get married. I just want to throw in also, I think the causality is wrong with this too. I'm sorry, I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the naysayer today. But um, I mean, I just feel like we're talking about happiness for people who choose to have kids, right? Because we also get to choose whether to have kids now if we right. use birth control. And I decided when I was 23, I woke up one day never having wanted kids. When I was 23, I woke up one day saying, I need to have kids. I don't know why. Does it make sense? It's going to be a whole lot of time, a whole lot of money, but that is true for me. And I was going to have kids come hell or high water. You know what I'm saying? That And it's not so surprising that I really enjoy my life and I enjoy my kids. But other people who don't want kids are not actually happier when they have kids. So we, we have to be a little bit careful. This that. happened with my mother as well. She turned 30, decided she wanted kids and decided she wanted a you know, father for the kids. And she more or less picked my father out of a lineup as far as I can make up and, say, <laughs> and said, okay, you'll do. And they got married. And, and you know... Are they still they, married? Well, uh, yeah, they 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 stayed together until my mother died. But the um, but there were, it wasn't necessarily, you know, a fairy tale marriage. But I had a great upbringing, and we, you know, they they had two very sort of happy, well adjusted kids out of it. So something worked. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't maybe not well adjusted in my case, but <laughs> so I I actually want to come back to. Uh, Kathy's point um, about causality and whether or not marriage is like a civilizing influence on people. I just want to tease it out a little bit because um, that's actually a really becoming kind of a big deal um, politically, weirdly, um, in, especially among like right wing intellectuals. Uh, there's this whole idea of trying to combat poverty through encouraging marriage. And it, when you when think tankers start you know, pondering this issue and talking about how they can do it. They'll sometimes produce studies saying that actually men make more because they are married, that the act of getting married makes them more responsible, makes them work harder. And so there is this is actually kind of a real life question about what are, you know, do we get married because we're suited for it or does marriage kind of civilize us and make us suitable for being with another person? And Jenny? then the, their, their conclusions is like, oh, we have to change the taxes around married people. And it's like, look, that is not going to solve the real problems. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, so this actually reminds me of a funny story. A very well-known Wall Street banker once told me that he encouraged his young bankers to get married because it prevented them from spending too much time looking for sex. That was the main reason. <laughs> so they could spend more time working on deals. Um, but he felt it calmed them down. It, like, You know, you took a 26-year-old testosterone-prone male, and he felt like it had a civilizing... In- I mean, that's very different from the and, question and also, you're asking, and, and which is a policy them, question. It also makes them a little bit hungrier to earn money because now you feel like you're... Especially if you're a, ba- a male banker. Or not, right? Now you're, you're, you're not you trying feel, to impress all the girls. You feel the... No, it starts getting expensive at that point. Mm. I also um, think that anybody who does what their boss says in terms of their married life is just a loser. I, I do want to see <laughs> that. I want to see that as a Harvard Business School case we study. Do. <laughs> I don't you. What like would that. you do for your boss? Exactly. <laughs> the fact is we all did. I mean, marriage is such an old and boring institution and yet, you know, we all bought into it. We are going to move on to talk about comparative advantage and sex, but first I need to tell you about our sponsor this week, which is Harry's 
You know about Harry's. They're the razor company. They're the company which spent $100 million buying an entire factory in Germany, which makes the best razors in the world, just so that they could get razors to you cheap instead of charging some enormous amount of money in the drugstore for razors. So what you do is you spend $15. This is nothing. This gets you a razor. It gets you three blades. It gets you shaving cream or foaming shave gel, whatever you want. And you get $5 off your first purchase if you enter the code, which is money. You can remember that, right? So that's 10 bucks for an entire month's worth of shaving. And then once you've tried it, you will never go back. So go to harrys.com, get $5 off by typing in money with your first purchase. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Enter coupon code money and you will get $5 off the starter set, which is a great thing. And then you'll just be using Harry's to shave and your wife will love you or your husband. We are going to come back more marriage, but this time self-help. <laughs> Jenny, you wrote an entire book, which is basically a self-help book. It's basically, I am going I to use... I regret to admit that it is a self-help book. I am going to use principles of economics to, um, to help you have a better marriage. Right, to resolve conflicts in marriage. That was that was the idea. The idea being that if economics is the allocation of scarce resources and we have scarce time, energy, money, libido, maybe we need to think a little more intentionally about how we're going to allocate those. So the first question I have for you, which is directly relevant for this, is can you tell me, please, what is Ricardo's principle of comparative advantage? It essentially means we need to do what we are relatively better at doing, and that will create a more efficient marketplace. So I, it, is, it makes no sense for me to make, in the original example, wine and cloth, because I am going to be relatively better at one of those. The example was originally Portugal made wine, England made cloth. And if they each made wine and cloth, it would take more time. All in all, but if wine, if Portugal made two bottles of wine and England made lots of wool, and they traded with each other, it would be a more efficient system. It effectively frees up time. It creates time, which is a very powerful concept. So, and, and if it we're married, debunks this whole fifty-fifty idea. We need time. We need time. That's all that everyone wants in in marriages is time, right? It's like this the one thing no one ever has enough of. It is a very scarce resource. Yes, time. I you know I I have to object to the idea that you can sort of negotiate contracts with within a marriage to improve the marriage. Now that's not to say there's no negotiation at all, but I feel like there's a I mean and we're going to get into the various kinds of negotiations you've been you mentioned in your book, but like the tit for tat, can we talk about that? And we can can we talk about what that looks like? And I mean, I would just, you know, what it basically looks like is we keep account of our right. spouse's score. work. Right. That would be relationships speak for that is keeping score. Keeping score. That's got a bad connotation, but it seems like you're suggesting it. I'm suggesting that it's a good thing. Yeah. You know, I think I was suggesting as a resolution for it, forgiveness, though I have to say I'm not totally, I have to look back on that chapter. It's been a while since <laughs> because, I've seen yeah, that no, one. No one's, no one's saying that the way to solve problems is to get out a little clipboard and start adding up how many minutes you spent changing typers, right? I mean... No, you should definitely not do that. It's actually the... the in the in Now we're talking about two different chapters, but yes, it, it, comparative advantage would suggest that you don't keep precise score, and that's the 50-50 marriage, and you're under 50-50, you have to eternally no negotiate because it's forever sort of 
how do you make this fair and how do you make this equal? And that just makes no sign, no sense, in part because it's time consuming. And that's the thing we're trying to free up. I see. So, so you're saying that compa- using comparative advantage avoids the tit for tit for tat. I'm, tit for tat. Yeah. But but don't you have to keep track of that, too? Why? No. Tell me how it's supposed you have to naturally to re- evolve. You sit down and you say, what do you like doing? What do I like doing? What do you like doing less, right? So no mm-hmm. one likes cleaning the toilets. No one likes mopping the floors. But what are you better at? And how can we effectively set up a system? All these things have to get done. How can we do it so that instead of um, we need to specialize, right? So there might be things I am naturally better at, cooking, cleaning, right? I mean, sometimes there are people who like doing the dishes and there are some people who like vacuuming and, you know, there are plenty of things we all hate. But if you are intentional enough to sit down and kind of say, let's get through this and try to figure out a system. And then when you have a kid, then it has to change again, right? And then you get a new job and you're working nights and you have to change it again. The idea is acknowledge that it shouldn't just be there. I think there are a lot of people, and there was an interesting story in the Times about this, millennials more than any other generation go into marriage thinking it's going to be 50-50, even Stephen, you know, everything's going to be hunky-dory. Well, lo and behold, when they have kids, their attitudes change dramatically and they think a sort of more traditional setup actually makes more sense because life gets in the way of their sort of theories. And so the idea is pay attention, you know, have the conversation, be intentional about what you're doing. Don't slip into the habits of one of you does everything and then simmers with rage all the time. Um, I mean, it's pretty commonsensical, but to me, the principles gate, it was like a toolkit. It was almost, you know, here are a few ideas to think about things that you fight about a lot. And And this works, this works with, it helps you have more sex. You have a whole chapter on this. Uh, yeah, there, there are some theories in there. Uh, my husband might contest this point. <laughs> <laughs> so I would also, so in preparation for the show, I decided to see if I could apply some, or, or I could actually try to apply some of the comparative, the, the idea of comparative advantage. And so I, I brought this up to my wife. And I said, you know, honey, um, you are far faster at doing the dishes than I'll ever, we don't have a dishwasher because we live in Brooklyn and Brooklynites accept like just a lower level, like standard of living that the rest of America takes for granted. But anyway, we don't have a dishwasher. She is much, much better at it than I am. I'm just incredibly slow. I said, you know, maybe we should just let you should do the dishes and I will, I will take on other tasks that I'm a little faster at and more willing to grin and bear through like, you know, just scrubbing the bathtub and stuff like that and dealing with mildew. And I think my mistake here may have been using the words comparative advantage and actually <laughs> trying to frame it in those terms. And after the your, after my kind of monologue, she looked at me and said, you're not getting out of doing the dishes. So <laughs> <laughs> that was a framing problem that, that for was, sure. I, you, you, you know be... what? You can show it in two charts. Yeah. There are two charts that will show you how this, you know, Maybe. it's just it's it's very basic math. Right. And it it, it does come down to whether you're relatively faster. Well, so, or better so wait. Or so Jenny, like has, did you. Is, have you come across anyone who has successfully persuaded their spouse of this principle of who's not an economist? Ad- who's not an economist? <laughs> Sorry, who's successfully persuaded their spouse of what? That of this principle of comparative advantage in like divvying up chores. Yes, because again, I think it's quite commonsensical. I don't think that this is, a, it's a framing issue. If you step back and take out the word comparative advantage <laughs> yeah, that was, and I, say common sense would dictate if we do what either what we like or what we're relatively better at and we can do it faster and that frees up time for us to go to the movies, go for a walk, get a beer, That's that should be something that we're both interested is it, in. Is it not the case that the principle of comparative advantage is pretty much the least intuitive thing in all of economics. It's the one thing which people have the most here, trouble here, understanding. Like, here's a stupid question, okay? Because I haven't worked this out with my husband, although I think we have naturally done it because it's common sense. 
I'm better at everything than he is. And I, I, I'm better at everything By than he way, is. By the way, that so came efficient. up a lot. And so that efficient. Is... Um, but that's the original Ricardo principle, that Portugal is better than England at both wool and So it's still a, it still applies. But yeah. England should still make only wool and Portugal should still make only cloth. Because he, you can still do certain things so much faster, so you should just keep doing you that one. You should do those, those things, things that you're relatively... The, the, way I do, the way we actually do it is I do the things he cannot do. Yeah, right. that makes sense. Like yeah. cook cook mostly. <laughs> right. um, it's probably because you want your kids to eat and not starve. So that's a very powerful incentive. I to... guess, you know, I'm, I'm going to skip around to a different part of the book because uh, we were talking about incentives in this section. And one of the things I found, like, it went too far for me mm-hmm. was the couple where the woman uh, rewarded or withheld sex mm. from her husband with good behavior. And I feel like that is... That's where economics does not reach for me in a marriage. Well, that was like well, the wife bo- bonus we had. Like, oh, yeah. That, the and that, oh, I, feel I know like, that couple. I feel like if you're commoditizing <laughs> sex in your marriage, then I'm sorry for you. Like, get divorced. Yeah, and I, but I think a lot of people do a lot of things that they're not hugely proud of, and it is reality. I mean, I would say probably bribing kids to do things is a really bad idea, and I would say it's a perverse incentive. If you pay your kids to do the dishes, you're crowding out the intrinsic motivation of doing the dishes because you live in the house and you have an obligation to do the dishes. But some of us probably occasionally will pay our kids to do some things. You know, I mean, I, I really think it's different. Actually, I mean, I I can argue I can argue with you about whether you should pay your kid to do the dishes, but I feel like I don't know. I have a different model of marriage where you have this like cup of happiness and love, and it has leaks. The leaks are, like correspond to resentment, and then like like acts of of intentional well-being for the other person it sort of pours more liquid into the top of the cup and i feel like if you if you're withholding sex it's like boom you got a big leak i don't, I don't think right, no, marriage saying, counselors would tell you that that is just a, yeah. a horrendous idea so, yeah. so no, I, i'm not gonna, i'm not going to disagree with you that that okay. is that is yeah, probably Kathy, a horrible it sounded strategy. like advice yeah now there's no advice in the book that you should be withholding sex no i think generally the advice is sex is kind of an act of goodwill towards each other and you know breeds intimacy and good feelings but sometimes Sometimes, and I don't want to get stereotypical on this, I think sometimes goodwill then engenders more closeness, which then can engender more sex. And so part of this is what do you do to get to those good feelings and warm feelings that could more frequently lead to more sex? And yes, more sex. We want more sex. Uh, <laughs> But now we're going to disagree to, with that, that conclusion. Is that the new tagline for slave money? <laughs> new tagline for, for slave more, money. More we sex. want more sex. More sex for everyone. We have to talk about adultery next. But first, I need to let you guys know all about Unorthodox, which is the new panoply show from Tablet Magazine. Hi, I'm Mark Oppenheimer, the host of Unorthodox, a new podcast from Tablet Magazine. Each week, Unorthodox dissects the news of the Jews with conviction and with wit. But, you know, we're not just for Jews. We also invite in a guest non-Jew to ask us questions and even, occasionally, offer some constructive criticism of the chosen people. Immediately off the top of my head, you guys have way too many holidays. You really do need to edit the list down. You can listen to Unorthodox each week on iTunes.com slash Panoply or at TabletMag.com. But now we need to move on to. I, I I forced this last segment in here because we've been we we were just talking about Ashley Madison a couple of weeks ago, the the flip side of marriage, which is divorce and you know adultery and all of these things. Like 
if marriage as an institution is a not entirely obvious thing to explain or understand on an economic level, um, it, do you have a model, Jenny, for when you know divorce makes sense? When is it ever? economically rational to have an affair? Well, so again, I think I would argue that I don't think I'm making the case that economic dictates why you should get married or whether you should undo marriage because those are deeply emotional questions. The book is about what tools you use when married to resolve conflicts. I would never profess to apply any law of economics to divorce because divorce is a big deal. It's a very sort of sad and traumatic thing. And that, that one you've got to figure out. I mean, you could, okay, if you needed a term, cost-benefit analysis. Is it, you know, what is the cost-benefit analysis of continuing to be married and not being married? Do you have kids? What would be the cost of them? There are a million factors. But at the end of the day, that's going to be a decision that's so, going to make so, you so, 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 I think it's a very, very economic decision to get divorced. I mean, the friends I know who've considered divorce absolutely think about their life, their quality of life if they do get divorced. Well, and I think, co- corresponding to like having to have a separate apartment and a sort of limited um, salary, um, but that's and, not why they're getting divorced. Yeah, I think that's that would be an analysis no, of, sort why, of what it, happens. It's, why, but yeah. it's actually why it's the concept why they don't get divorced. If we right. go back well, that's, to well, that's a financial decision versus an economic analysis. But that's, if we go back to the Ashley Madison segment that we had a couple of weeks ago. It might be a reason to not get divorced, but it might also be the reason why they wind up having an affair. Sure. And so, Kathy, walk us through this logic a little bit more explicitly. Which logic? Sorry. The, 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 <laughs> why to have an affair. Why to have an affair, yeah. Well, I mean, you have, I mean people have, an aff- have affairs for all sorts of reasons. I would say the number one is probably an identity crisis, that they don't want to feel like they don't got it anymore. Um, but, yeah, when you have a marriage um, that is... It's it's difficult to break up because you have kids and the, and you work together as partners for the kids and it, it works that way. And if you know that after a divorce, it would just the quality of life would be very low for both you and your children and your spouse. Like then there's all sorts of reasons to have an affair because it doesn't interrupt this, the flow of your life. What do you make of that, Jenny? I think it's true. I think one of the you know, I think there's a lot of questions around affairs. One is, are you going to talk about the affair? I mean, there's a model by which you could argue, and the French have sort of mastered this model, haven't they, right? Sort of marriage and affair, and can't we all live happily? And, you know, if there's a certain level of transparency around it, what's the big problem? Because there's no betrayal factor in it, right? So that's a more complicated matter. But um, I'll tell you what, just if we're going to get, like, snarky, because that's we're, we're talking about divorces and affairs now, that I don't understand people who don't have kids having affairs, that's my one thing. It's like, right, like I don't understand divorced. that. Like, just get divorced. Right. Like, you don't even have kids. I mean, maybe it's because you don't can't afford two apartments. <laughs> but it's like, it's much lower obstacle financially to, like, the get exits, divorced. The exits, the exits to barrier? Exit what? cost. <laughs> exit Bar- cost. Barrier to exit. <laughs> the, like, the, trying to do barriers to entry backwards, the, but it the, wasn't the, working. The loss given default, is it exactly. right? So, you know. It sounds like a bad financial product that Wall Street just created. <laughs> so, I want... Um, so as far as the idea of, because I think what we are talking about right now is like the just financial considerations of, of getting mayor of divorcing or not. But as far as the idea of, um, actually applying an economic analysis or an economic principle to getting divorced, I kind of want to reprise something I, I said on the Ecom 101 edition of the show, which was we were talking about the sunk cost fallacy and how people constantly make the mistake of kind of throwing good money after bad and how they assume that, oh, well, I've already spent $25 on or put $100 into this investment. I might as well put the next 25 into it just to keep going, even though the chances of payoff are very low. Um, 
I kind of do think that there that is useful for considering relationships, not just with like a marriage, but with people in general, is trying to think in terms of, okay, yes, I've invested X amount of time and my life into this relationship, but what am I benefiting going or how much am I benefiting going forward? What do the forward? next 20 years yeah. look like yeah. versus the last 20, which you can't get back? Exactly. Trying not to let the past color your perception of the future. So I think that is one economic principle that- Says is, the man who got married after nine years of being with his- Yeah. Uh, I did, and I was like, "Yep, those, those those are paying off. Those costs are paying off." <laughs> oh, and let me sort of similar to that. I would think that you know you hear more and more about people getting divorced when their kids go off to college. Like the biggest, it's a big inflection point, right? Yeah. This, if you think, if you want to think of your marriage as a business proposition, it's probably a business proposition where you have these kids and you raise them, and then they go off. And so it's not that surprising when that has happened that people are like, "Okay, now I'm ready for my next part of my life." Um, and we don't have a numbers round today, but I do want to say that the remarriage rate has been remaining stable at around 57% in the last three decades, even though the overall marriage rate is going down. Like fewer and fewer people are getting married, but those who get divorced just get married at the same rate. They, they're they in so for the long haul. So there's something about it. Yeah. They want to come back Kathy, to a triumph want, of uh, hope over experience, right? I want to ask you, Kathy, um, if you don't understand why childless people would have affairs, well, I mean, I understand why everyone has a face. Okay. I just, but, yeah. But, but you, theoretically, like, it doesn't make a huge amount of sense to me why childless people would have affairs. They may as well just get divorced. Does it make sense for you, for someone like myself, to get married if you're not going to have kids? Is there any particular reason no, even I to get married it. in the first place? No, why did you get married? <laughs> I absolutely, I totally disagree. I, I totally don't get it. The, but there's no logic to it, right? It's, it's an aspirational thing. There's a lot of, you know, it might not make sense to go to college, Right. No, if, that you're makes choose, no, if you're going to choose, if you're going to choose a certain career, if you want to be a musician, why go to college? Why, why accumulate that much debt which you have to pay off? I'm, I'm saying in, cert, in certain circumstances, but I think marriage can be a very aspirational thing. If you believe in God, you want maybe you want to swear before God that you're going to stay committed to this person. If you believe in your community as a network of people who can support you, you want to stand before those people and say, "I promise to do my best with this person." I think that's... No, I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, yeah, like no, a, but you're saying, why did you why, do yeah, it? Yeah, no, I'm, right. I don't get it. It's a great excuse for a party. There you go. Well, that's that's a good answer. <laughs> that's actually my favorite answer. Yeah, but that party is like just planning that thing. The <laughs> most, <laughs> Jesus the most expensive party I planned my wedding in four weeks and made three have. decisions. Well done. Yeah, it was pretty good. We spent a lot... That, that, was, that was sleek. Well, I was pregnant, so it uh, there was a speed factor that we were we were aiming for. <laughs> were, were, were you trying and to minimize the size of the bump? I was. I kind of wanted to, which is so ridiculous and crazy. But I did want to wait till the kid was there because then I thought the wedding would be about the three of us, and I sort of wanted the wedding to be about the two of us because you know it was going to be the three of us soon enough. And uh, but yeah, the the wedding planning my wedding was not stressful. We I have got to say. we we were super stressed about trying to even decide what if we were going to like plan a wedding or what kind of wedding we were going to plan until finally we came with like the absolute minimalist version of it. So we spent a lot of time stressing out until we figured out how not to stress about planning a wedding. And it was just that was the You know, that brings up the thing that I want you know, I'm by the way, give advice way too much. So I'm I'm not complaining about that you shouldn't give advice to um to people about getting married, but I do feel like some of the advice and I give similar advice about negotiating chores and stuff like that. But I do feel like the people that don't get this are doomed. 
the people that don't have, like, they've been married or they've been together at least for four years or something. They still haven't figured out. And he's, she's still mad at him for never doing the dishes. I'm like, you're not going to learn. Like, there's something about you have to fit. You have to really want to figure this out for marriages to work. There's always going to be bingo bumps in the road in marriages. And like, if you haven't figured out that, then I really don't have a lot of hope for you. And that's not to say I don't give the advice, but I do feel like some of this advice is like, you have to figure this out. If this is not going to uh, one size fit all type thing. Jenny, when you you interviewed a lot of married couples for this book. It was the most fun part of this book. This was book, a few years far. ago that you were reporting this book. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the years since then, have you made any attempt to try and like see which which of those couples wound up getting divorced and whether there was any sort of predictability there? I have not is the true answer. So right after I wrote the book, I had a second kid and I and you have no took, time an, for that I took another job and uh, my brother got sick and then we moved to London. And I have to say, when I came on the show today, I went back and reread my book, which I hadn't <laughs> um, read in a few years. And uh cringed a little bit as I uh, as I as I reread it but um, I haven't done that it would be a very interesting exercise to do that and I see a lot of flaws in some of the th- some of the ways we pick things and it's a book for I think this is a book for people who are setting out on the path of marriage it's an it's a early user's guide and to Kathy's point you know we're trying to help people everybody's going to have conflict. I mean, the funny thing about marriage is you marry someone for a set of, you know, some a few things you really love about the person. And within two years, those exact qualities will be what is driving you bonkers about that person, right? <laughs> He's so spontaneous. It's amazing. Like, why can't you ever make a plan? You know, these things, but you got you to gotta work them out and see if, if you're going to stay committed to those issues, to, to that, you know, that person and those set of issues. You have to figure out some conflict resolution strategies or you're just going to end up pissed off all the time yelling all the time and it's just you know you kind of want to minimize that and just enjoy as much time as possible pick that person for a reason you also have an you have like a built-in afterward for like the next edition essentially you can now go back or like an epilogue for for <laughs> you when you need to do like an add-on you can just go back and retrace them and see like you're finding out S- see where they are yeah I'm, I'm i'm thinking of one i do know of one couple in here that I uh, that has gotten divorced that I do know that um, and probably would have predicted that at the time. But. Why would you have <laughs> predicted that? Or is that giving away too much about No, no, no. <laughs> uh, no, we, I think we did a pretty good job of um, they were um, so John Gottman is one of the sort of famous marriage gurus. We went and spent a weekend with him and his wife, and um, they have this four horsemen of the apocalypse, and one of those is contempt. And if you use a tremendous amount of contempt in your conversations with your spouse, it's actually just hard to recover. And so he can kind of watch people talk about an issue of tension. Malcolm Gladwell wrote about him as well. He can predict with sort of a 95% accuracy rate whether you're going to end up divorced or so he says. But the point being that contempt is something that you, once you're at that point, it's can be very hard to come back. And I don't mean contempt of, oh, my God, you didn't pick up your underwear off the floor again, right? That's kind of contempt for a moment, but contempt for the person you're with. That is a very hard thing to recover from. This particular couple, when they spoke about the issue, it was contempt for the person and not, you know, marriage. uh, Money is something we struggle with, and here's the problem, and here's the solution. It was a kind of very deep distrust almost of the other person. And Mm. I kind of thought, "Mm, that doesn't seem like a formula that's going to last. We never even had time to talk about Money. It seems to me that like of, there are only two things which really break up marriages. One is 
babies and the other one is money. Like, those things will tear you apart if you're not on the same page. Well, and sex with other people. And that's what we just that, did. And sex <laughs> with other people. <laughs> but we will, we will come back, I'm sure, to all of these issues the next time Jenny Anderson is on the show. Because we'll have you back now that you're a proper, you know, because you're a wide-ranging reporter with oh, many strings yeah. to your bow. We don't need to force you to talk about I know a little bit about, about a lot of things. Very dangerous. Um, <laughs> Nothing about me. I'm, I'm feeling a tax issue coming up. Next time that... I love taxes. Next time that either, um, either you're in New York or I'm in London. Let's do it. We're going to do I'd it. I'd love to come back. It's... This show is always so much better when Jenny Anderson is on it. So we are gonna we are gonna have one number because because we're changing Slate's tagline to "Sex is good, have more sex, <laughs> more sex." Unless you're under sixteen, no, oh, and then you definitely shouldn't, or you should definitely oh, use a lot of birth control. Only <laughs> Slate monies. I we'd have to run that by Jacob Weisberg for all of Slate to just be more sex, <laughs> more more sex. Here we go. Married people okay. have twenty eight to four hundred percent more sex than unmarried people at various ages. So no matter how bad you think it is, being being single would not solve your problem. I, no matter how bad you think it is in marriage, you know. There's so the, there's your economic reason to get married. It means you have more sex. There you go. There you go. More supply, I don't know no matter a, what your demand. That's not demands. an economic reason. I think that would be a physically beneficial reason, right? <laughs> so, yes. Please send your emails to slatemoney at slate.com and tell us how wonderful Jenny Anderson is and confirm our priors because we like having our priors confirmed. And if you send mean emails, Felix, please delete them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and subscribe to the show because it's sometimes good even when Jenny Anderson is not on it um, where you, you can find it if you search for Slate Money in the iTunes store leave a review there tell Audrey Quinn how wonderful she is because she produces all of these shows um, and then yeah thank you to everyone thank you to Joel Meyer the managing producer Andy Bowers the executive producer and to everyone in the Panoply Network at iTunes.com slash panoply we will talk to you next week on slate money as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent indeed survey and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com podcast that's indeed.com podcast terms and conditions apply